Repodcasting is part of the Alberta Podcast Network. Locally grown, community supported. Have you ever watched a movie and wondered why they cast that woman or that guy? Well, here's our chance to give it a try. We're repodcasting. Hello, and welcome to another episode of Repodcasting. I'm Lucia. And I'm Janet. How's it going, Janet? Hi, Lucia. (laughs) Full disclosure to our listeners, I might be a little bit drunk. (laughs) And I cannot wait to see how that unfolds in this episode. (laughs) I've been, I still have some good Portuguese wine left over from Christmas. Mm -hmm. So I, I decided to partake this evening before, before we got started. Good stuff. Well, Welcome back. We missed you last month. Um, oh, right. Yeah. Yes, eyes wide shut. I, I enjoyed that episode. Yeah. I mean, we missed you, but also I think you dodged a bullet. <laughs> well, I enjoyed the episode. I thought you and Marita did an excellent job, and I will not be watching Eyes Wide Shut. <laughs> Well, good. Good, good, good. (laughs) Well, for this month, we are recasting the 2002 Martin Scorsese movie, Gangs of New York. So Janet, this was your pick. Do you want to tell us a little bit about your history with the movie? Sure. So this is quite an old movie, 19 years ago. Mm -hmm. I saw this at the movie theater. Mm. um, And I remember at the time, enjoying it for sure. It was a big deal when it came out. Uh, But one thing about this movie that has always sat wrong with me was the two lead characters, Leonardo DiCaprio and Cameron Diaz. I thought that they were completely miscast for this movie. Mm -hmm. So, And I feel like this was a movie that had been on my list to recast for quite some time. So I was excited that we finally that we finally got to it. I, you know, (laughs) I was not excited. I had actually forgotten this was a Scorsese and I went through quite a lot of his filmography over the past couple of years. And I don't like Scorsese. I think there's one of his movies that I like. And even then I haven't seen it in a long time. So we'll see if it holds up. But anyway, so I remember when it was coming out, a lot of the talk around it was how gory it is and, I guess I'm going to use the word realistic. I don't know if that's the right word, but I feel like that's what people were saying of like, they're realistically showing this gang violence and super gory. And that's never appealing for me, but I didn't find it that gory. Like, yes, it's violent for sure. No doubt. But I don't know, maybe I'm getting desensitized. I'll admit when I suggested this movie, I completely forgot that this was a Scorsese movie, Mm -hmm. completely. And I also forgot how long of a movie it was. So long! (laughs) It's long. Um, But, I mean, this is a huge, epic movie, for sure. And I feel like there's so much that we're serving up to our listeners. (laughs) There's so much to unpack. So let's get into it, like, right away. You bet. Uh, What was the box office? So the budget for this movie was a hundred million, and it did one hundred and ninety three point eight million at the box office. So like a hundred and ninety four million. Yeah. You know the 
budget was super bloated because I'm sure in your research for the movie, like there's quite the backstory on this movie and they ran into a lot of production issues. So I think that's what caused the budget to continue to to increase and be like super bloated. Mm -hmm. But I mean, it was a huge movie and the accolades, the Oscar noms, it did very well. Well, it got a lot of nominations, zero wins. Yes. So that's interesting. One thing that I found interesting about the budget was, like, I didn't see what the budget was, but I saw that because it was, like, going over, Leonardo DiCaprio took a salary cut and Scorsese got no salary for the picture. I imagine he got, like, whatever you call it, points on the back end or whatever, but uh, he did not take a salary. It was impressive in scope. I'll say that. Yeah, it's an epic movie. Like, it's it's one of those movies that definitely, it stands out for mm-hmm. sure mm-hmm. In, the, in the archives. Yeah, and so I had never seen it before, obviously. I think I might have said that. And watching it, I feel like there are some actors who don't really fit into a period piece through no fault of their own. They just, I don't buy them in another era. And Cameron Diaz definitely is one of those people. And Leonardo DiCaprio, to a certain extent, I would say, I don't really buy him in this era either, which is funny because this is probably around the same time as Titanic. No, like in in terms of like when it's taking place. Well, Titanic... Oh, you mean like the actual time period that the movie takes place? Yeah. When was the Titanic? Like 1912? When was this? I don't know if it said a year. It takes place in like the 1800s. The time period is like 1863-ish. Oh, okay. This is like 50 years before. No, okay. (laughs) (laughs) We have no concept. (laughs) This is what COVID brain is. <laughs> oh boy. <laughs> um okay, well, I I wrote up a little synopsis for this movie. This was a tough one just cuz like when you have a 3-hour film, it's hard to try and compress a story into a couple of sentences, but here goes. In Civil War era New York, the xenophobic nativist gang fights against Irish immigrants and black Americans. One Irish American named Amsterdam, who saw his father die at the hands of Bill the Butcher, tries to avenge his father's death 20 years later. I think it was 20 years. I'm not sure. (laughs) I love that you said xenophobic. (laughs) Well. When I was watching this movie, like now, not in 2002, now watching it through the lens of 2021, I was like, wow, America's still like this. I know. That's 100% what I was thinking. Oh, like, okay. Um, There's been some evolution, but I feel like we're still seeing this happening in modern times. Oh, yeah. And this is like 160 years later. (laughs) Yeah, like those nativists were, they're basically like the white supremacists of 1863. Yeah. They're the 1860s Proud Boys. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, gosh. Well, 
Anywho, on that fun note, (laughs) on that fun note, we will take a quick ad break to thank our sponsors before we get into the recasting. Repodcasting is brought to you by Park Power, your friendly local utilities provider in Alberta. Offering internet, electricity, and natural gas with low rates, awesome service, and profit sharing with local charities. In Alberta, you get to choose who you buy your internet, electricity, and natural gas from. If you choose Park Power, you are choosing a positive local business. Plus, Park Power shares its profits with local not-for-profits that are working to make a difference for their communities. Shopping local is very important to Park Power's owner, Chris Kozowski. And we love local here at Alberta Podcast Network, so it's a great fit. Learn more at parkpower.ca. And now back to the show. So, Janet, as this was your pick, do you want to get into your recasting? Yay, okay. Um, So, the problem with the casting in this movie... Let's do a deep dive on this, (laughs) shall we? Okay, so you have the three leads, right? You have Daniel Mm Day-Lewis as William Bill the Butcher Cutting. Mm -hmm. You have Leonardo DiCaprio as Amsterdam Valen, which, by the way, Amsterdam? Yeah. What a name, right? I guess it's because New York used to be called New Amsterdam, but but it's silly. <laughs> yes. <laughs> oh, of course. So, yeah, why would you name him Amsterdam? He's Irish born in Ireland. Why would they have called him Amsterdam? Okay, let's not. I don't want to get into this. <laughs> That's so funny. I didn't think of that. Yeah, yeah we, could, like, we could go on about this like, for hours. <laughs> uh, and then we have Cameron Diaz, who plays Jenny Everdeen. Now, what I found really interesting, I had forgotten, was that Daniel Day-Lewis, this was the first role that he took on after a five-year absence mm-hmm. from the acting world. He had, like, taken a little career hiatus. Yeah. He'd gone off to Italy and been a cobbler. <laughs> what? Yeah that's what, he, yeah, that's what he did while he took his hiatus. He was, he lived in, like, this Italian village, and he was a cobbler. Oh, uh, that is so perfect for Daniel oh, Day-Lewis. Right. It's true. Oh, I believe you. Well, I don't know. It could be a legend that he, <laughs> like, put out there himself. But I believe it. I yeah, yeah. I totally believe he did that. So this was the first role that he had taken in five years. And, you know, it was a big deal, right? Mm-hmm. This was uh, a huge role. I mean, this is, like, the kind of role that is, like, a career definer, I think. Because it's movie history. You yeah. know what I mean? I mean, yeah. Daniel Day-Lewis is an amazing, prolific actor. You could say that almost about all of the characters that, that he creates, but this one really stands out, right? So the problem that you have here is you have, like, this incredible actor like Daniel Day-Lewis, and then you have Leonardo DiCaprio and Cameron Diaz. Now, hang on, because in the past, and we have it on record, <laughs> you have touted Leonardo DiCaprio's acting abilities. For sure. And I do think that Leonardo DiCaprio has become a great actor over the years. Okay, okay. Absolutely. I think at this point in 2002, sure, he was a good actor. Of course, he'd been acting for years, like since he was a child, right? Mm -hmm. Do I think that he was at the level of Daniel Day-Lewis? No way. (laughs) Daniel Day-Lewis completely upstages the both of them. Yeah. 
And fair enough, like he's a great actor. But I think the problem with this casting is that there's a huge imbalance in weight. Yeah. And what I mean by that is that you've got Daniel Day-Lewis, who is a heavyweight, and then you've got Leo, who is definitely between him and Cameron Diaz. He's the stronger of the two, for sure. Yeah. But then you have Cameron Diaz, who had no business being in this role. No. <laughs> None whatsoever. Yeah. And at this point, she had done a couple of dramatic roles. Like, she had been in Any Given Sunday, and then she did uh, Being John Malkovich. Oh, yeah. So I suspect that, like, they thought she had some dramatic cred. Mm-hmm. Even though, like... I don't know. I mean, it's debatable whether you think she was good in either one of those films. To me, Cameron Diaz is always best in comedic roles. Sure. That's how I think of her. Like, that's where I think her skill set is best used okay. in comedic roles. So I think that's the problem right there is there's an imbalance of weight in your leads. Right? Yeah. Do you agree? Yeah, I do agree. Definitely. Yeah. I'm curious to know who you feel was on the same level as Daniel Day-Lewis. Yeah, that's the thing. You know, I feel like casting, I mean, this is what our whole podcast is about, right? We're always, we talk about casting and casting, it's like an alchemy. You know what I mean? When it's precise and it's done right, it's magic in movies, mm-hmm. right? It can be like the magic, but when it's wrong and it's sloppy, you can have the best movie but the casting can, like, ruin, completely ruin it. Yeah, totally agree. And I'm not saying that the casting ruined this movie, not by any means. There is so, I mean, it's a huge movie, and it's, let's face it, it's a gorgeous movie. Like, the art direction, the cinematography, like, it's a beautiful movie to look at. What they accomplished Mm -hmm. is, like, awesome, in my opinion. But I think that the, the casting is definitely, it's like a detractor, for sure. Yeah. Because you've got, like, these these two actors that, I'm not saying they necessarily had to be at his level, but they definitely should have, there shouldn't have been such a weight imbalance there. Okay. Is all I'm saying. Okay, so for the role of Amsterdam Valen, Leonardo DiCaprio, I recast him with Colin Farrell. Oh. Uh, one of my biggest problems with the whole Leo DiCaprio thing was the accent. (laughs) Thank you. Yeah, same thing with Cameron Diaz. Like, those (sighs) accents, I don't know where they were going. What a mess. They would happen, then they would be gone. Um, (laughs) I feel like that's a criticism that is often lobbed Mm -hmm. at this movie, is, like, their accents and how bad they were. And even when I went to see the movie at the theater in 2002, like, that was definitely something that I found distracting. Yeah. I remember thinking that it was distracting. Their accents were a joke. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, so I don't know if you saw this, Lucy, when you were doing your research, but the person who was the film's voice coach, someone by the name of Tim Monich? Monich? I don't know if I'm saying his name correctly. He said that he wanted to focus on the distinctive dialects of Ireland and Great Britain. And my first <laughs> thought when I read that was like, what dialect was that like if there are any people if there are any irish people listening to this like please
let us know what dialects these were that they were using in this movie. Yeah, we're going to have to promote this episode in Ireland because, yes, I want that <laughs> feedback as well. <laughs> I need that feedback. I have actually been to Ireland and I didn't hear this dialect anywhere. So I don't know. But also I found it interesting that I almost felt like this voice coach, this Tim Gentleman, was almost defending the way he sort of styled this yeah. because he probably received so much criticism <laughs> and he's aware of it because he said that the character of Amsterdam Valen was born in Ireland, raised in the U.S., mm-hmm. so it was designed to be a blend of accents, typical of being half Americanized? Yeah. I don't know. I feel like that's, I feel like you're defending, like, that almost feels like his back is up and he's defending because, I don't know, I didn't understand what kind of blend that was. Like, I didn't know where that was going. The accents were definitely a distraction for me and I found them, and I don't think I'm alone in that, um, in that criticism. For sure. I read that as well about the Amsterdam character. And I agree with you. I think it felt like a defense because the accent was not, how can I put it? It's not like certain words he would say with an Irish accent or, you know, it was like, sometimes he had the accent, sometimes he didn't. And I don't think that's how that works. Yeah, exactly. So anyway, I cast Colin Farrell because he is Irish. Sure. And I think he would have done, certainly, obviously, um, a better job with the accent, of course. You know, Leo DiCaprio, of course, he's, he's a dramatic actor, for sure. But there was something about his performance that still didn't feel right for the role. And... I don't know. I mean, this is a character that he's angry, like he's seeking revenge. Yeah. And while he was really, you know, maybe it's obviously it's the way the character is written. He was quiet. I don't know. I feel like Leonardo DiCaprio is not one of those actors who is good at quiet, subtle performances. Okay. I don't think that that's where his skill set flourishes sure quiet performances like to me he's not one of those actors who like you know how there are some actors who they emote quietly and they're so intense that even sometimes it's just a look in the eye says so much yeah i don't feel like leonardo dicaprio is is one of those Mm -hmm. I don't feel that he falls into that category, whereas I feel Colin Farrell does. I've seen enough of Colin Farrell's work now that I think he definitely has that kind of strength and that ability to emote in like a really quiet way. I also think Colin Farrell's a really good crier. Oh, okay, okay. Yeah, like, I don't know if you've ever seen him cry in <laughs> yes. a movie. He's a good crier. Like, he really, when you see him cry, he really, like, you get that deep sense of empathy. Whereas when I see Leonardo DiCaprio cry, I don't feel that. I just feel like he's being super extra when he cries. <laughs> okay, yeah. <laughs> that's just, I don't know, that's just me, maybe. So I would have liked to have seen Colin Farrell in this role and what he would have done with it. And they're they're actually about the same age. 
uh, Colin Farrell and, and Leo DiCaprio. Colin Farrell's like four years younger. So age-wise, I think he would have been fine for the role. Mm-hmm. And, you know, he already had done a little bit of work in 2002. So he he definitely was not an unknown. Like people knew who he was. Yeah. Perhaps he didn't have the sort of star power that Leonardo DiCaprio did. Of course not, because, you know, Leonardo did Titanic and he was still riding that wave. He's still riding that wave like <laughs> 30 years later, please. Uh-huh. Is it 30 years? Probably. <laughs> well, it's more than uh, 20 anyway. Yeah, for sure. So, yeah, like he definitely didn't have like the star power, but people knew who he was. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? For sure. Yeah. yeah. He had already starred in Tigerland by that point. And I remember that being like a, a kind of like a star making performance. Yes, Tigerland. And well, he did, he'd been in Minority Report yes. as well. Yeah. And he had done that movie Phone Booth. Have you seen that? For sure. Yeah. He was quite good in that movie. Absolutely. And that's like, not an easy role. <laughs> right. Like, the thing is, I like Colin Farrell, but I wouldn't say that, oh, I'm like bananas about Colin Farrell. You right. know what I mean? But I think he's definitely solid. And I would have loved to have seen what he would have done with this role. It would have been different for sure. For yeah. Sure. Um, so, in the role of Jenny Everdeen. Oh, sorry. Are we not going to go back and forth? Oh, I'm sorry. Oh, I'm drunk. That's okay. <laughs> That's okay. I I'm actually. you go Lucia (laughs) thank you I totally would have let it go except that I was so excited that we chose to do it this way because I also chose Colin Farrell no you didn't I did Lucia I'm sending you a virtual high five yeah (laughs) yeah I think it's so hilarious because Initially, when I picked him, I was like, I wonder, I bet Jan will pick him too. Like, he just feels so perfect for the role, um, both like at the time in his career and the type of actor he is. And like, I 100% agree with what you were saying about that, like, quiet intensity. He can brood like nobody else. Right. Like, I think one of my favorite Colin Farrell performances, and I think you'll agree with me, is his performance in the movie In Bruges. Oh, yes. Right? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. He's absolutely great in that. By the way, anyone who's listening, if you have not seen In Bruges, you need to see this. You need to see In Bruges. Like, yeah. And then that's with Brendan Gleeson, right? Yes, that's right. So they would have been working together here in this movie. Yes. <laughs> Yeah, that's amazing. I think that's so funny. Because also, like, when you were saying that you wanted somebody to kind of not be on par with Daniel Day-Lewis, but, you know, be closer (laughs) to his um, skill level, I was like, oh, okay, there's no way she picked Colin Farrell. And then I was so excited that you did. Because, yeah, like, I think he absolutely would have been so much better than Leonardo DiCaprio. And Leonardo DiCaprio, at this point, especially, like I'm saying now, you have to be really careful. Like he's reached that point. He's a movie star, right? And so he's reached that point where you almost have to be careful of what you put him in because it can easily be too distracting. And so while he wasn't necessarily at that point um, back then, I feel like 
there's just something off about him <laughs> being cast in this movie. Like, it's not right. It's distracting. And so, yeah, somebody like Colin Farrell, I wanted somebody more intense. That's the the person I was looking for. So, yeah, nice. Now, please I, go I ahead. Yeah, that it hasn't happened since, like, our third episode. Happened. Yeah. History was just made. <laughs> Yay. Um, so please go ahead with Jenny Everdeen now. <laughs> so Jenny Everdeen, Cameron Diaz. But that accent. Oof. What was happening? What a mess. Right? Yeah. Oh, a mess. Wow. <laughs> I think I said wow, like, so many times watching her. Wow. I laughed out loud at this movie a lot more than I should have. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, me too. For sure. For sure. Agree. Yeah. So her accent was the worst. Uh, we agree on that. Uh, she was completely, completely wrong for this role. Mm -hmm. I don't know how this casting came about, but it was wrong. Um, she was a big deal. Of course, I suspect it was because she was also, you know, considered a box office draw, for sure. She had a lot of movies under her belt. She was a hot commodity yeah. in 2002. That's the only reason that, that I can see for having given her this role, because she was completely out of her realm in this role. Like, yeah. to see her acting opposite... Daniel Day-Lewis, it's almost like, it's like I was out of my body. <laughs> you know, it was like, why, why, why is this happening? What's happening? Uh, this is wrong. Yeah. Um, I just wasn't buying it. I also did not buy the romantic chemistry between her and Leonardo DiCaprio. Agreed. Yeah. There was nothing. I wasn't feeling the heat. I wasn't feeling anything there. I don't know. It just, they're supposed to be passionately in love. It's supposed to be like this super intense romance. And yeah, I was not feeling that. Yeah. It was like, what do you say? Two wet fish? <laughs> like, yeah, know. there just was no chemistry whatsoever. It was like two crocs. <laughs> the shoes or the animal? <laughs> the Oh no! It was like two crocs <laughs> trying to be oh. together. It was all wrong. Um, so, and you know what? Watching the movie now, the more I watched it, the more I was resenting her almost oh. <laughs> in the role because I was like, "This is a serious role. For, this is and this is a great role. I mean, yeah. okay, granted." She's kind of a prop, right? Like, she certainly... Yeah. They don't give her much to do. Like, she's like a prop there. She's there for the men, whatever. It's a Scorsese movie. Yeah. He doesn't focus on the female characters, right? Yeah, I feel pretty confident in saying that this movie does not pass the Bechdel test. No, of course not. But at the same time, it's a plum role. It's a prestige role in a Scorsese film. Mm -hmm. And... It just, I resented the fact that Cameron Diaz got it. Okay. So, on that note, I recast the role with Rachel Weiss. Oh, okay. Because I love her. And also, <laughs> I mean, let's face it, 
she's in terms of her acting toolkit. Yeah, she's got it. You mm-hmm. know what I mean? She certainly has a a broader toolkit as an actress. She certainly has the skill set for this role. And you know what I find really interesting is it wouldn't have been completely unheard of to cast her in this role. I mean, she was already somewhat of a name at this point. She was kind of like on the same level as Colin Farrell, right? Like Mm -hmm. they had a couple of movies under their belt because Rachel Weisz, when she did The Mummy in 1998, that put her on the map in terms of like the movie realm, right? And if people knew her. Um, Then she did The Mummy Returns in 2001. And then that same year, in 2002, she was actually in About a Boy. So she was getting, like, she was getting good projects, right? Mm -hmm. So she wasn't an unknown. So she totally could have been cast in this. Like, it wouldn't have been unheard of or weird. You know what I mean? Yeah. Maybe she wouldn't have had, sorry, go on. Sorry, I was just going to say, and she'd be great. certainly do a better accent than Cameron Diaz, for sure. Yeah. Um, and she could go there with the drama, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like, she could definitely uh, go to a different place with the character of Jenny. And, I don't know, I just think she would have made the role a lot more memorable for the right reasons. Uh, yeah, <laughs> I feel like a lot of when people look at this movie, the criticism that is often like sort of thrown at is is like Cameron Diaz was wrong in this movie, mm-hmm. and I don't think it's fair to pin all of it on Cameron Diaz. Not at all. She definitely like I think she really was miscast. Yeah, and it's something that people remember about the movie. And you know the thing about Rachel Vice too is. I think she has better screen presence yes. than Cameron Diaz. And I think she would have been amazing with Colin Farrell. I mean, they hadn't worked together yet at this point. Mm-hmm. But, I mean, we've now seen them work together. In yeah. the, if anyone has seen The Lobster, which I know you have, Lucia. Yes. And they were pretty hot in The Lobster <laughs> together. Yeah, like, yeah. I was. I was feeling that heat, definitely. <laughs> so I would have really liked to have seen... I think they would have definitely had a more believable romance. Yeah. For sure. Yeah, it would have been a lot steamier, that's for sure. Absolutely. Like, you would have believed that she was, like, abandoning Bill, the butcher, mm-hmm. <laughs> who she had, like, a romance with, right? Yeah. You'd believe that she kicked him out of the bed <laughs> for Colin Farrell. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> or I would believe it anyway. <laughs> nice. So that's my recast for Jenny Everdeen. Okay. Well, I ended up having two. Um, I just could not decide. So I'll go with the one that I think is less <laughs> good first, and I'll lead up to the one that I think is the best pick. So... I was looking for somebody who I thought could do an Irish accent as well. (laughs) That was definitely one of my complaints about Cameron Diaz. And I'll say this, I think maybe (laughs) because just going in and knowing that Cameron Diaz is in this movie and like even before seeing her, just knowing that she's not the right person for the role, I think maybe my bar was really low because (laughs) I thought... 
I didn't think she was great by any means. And the accent was terrible. But putting the accent aside, I thought she was fine. But clearly, there are tons and tons of amazing actresses who could do much better and who probably deserved this meaty role. So one of them is Isla Fisher. She. Right. Yeah. So so she is of Scottish descent and age wise, she's the same age as Colin Farrell. And at this point in 2002, she had only been in terms of like Hollywood movies. She had only been in Scooby-Doo in a small role. <laughs> um, and yeah. then her like, maybe not breakout, but where, when people started to notice her more was two years later in I Heart Huckabees. Oh, really? Because see, I didn't know, I didn't learn about Isla Fisher until she did The Wedding Crashers. I feel like that was when people started talking about Isla Fisher. That was definitely when she became more of a household name, for sure. Okay. But yeah, so that's the thing. Like, I think she would have been good, but if we're going to play this realistically, she wouldn't have been cast because they wanted a big name in that role. Right, right. Yeah, so on that... My second choice is Jennifer Connelly. Uh, okay. Yeah, and it turns out she is of Irish descent, not born there or anything. But yeah, at this point, so this is 2002. She had already done Requiem for a Dream in 2000 right. and A Beautiful Mind in 2001. So I do feel like she had enough of a name that it wouldn't be so crazy that she would have been in this. Sure. And I think... I don't know if she has ever done anything with Colin Farrell, but I could definitely picture it. <laughs> I could see it. Has she done accents? I'm trying to picture Jennifer Connelly doing an Irish accent. You know what I think is really interesting? I think an Irish accent is one of the hardest accents to do. Really? Yeah, like I think it's actually harder to do than a British accent. Okay. I don't know if I agree. <laughs> no, I feel like we need to ask an actor. Too <laughs> yeah. bad we don't know any. <laughs> because I want to ask someone now, like, what is the hardest accent to do? British, Irish, Scottish. Scottish is hard too, right? I think, yeah. I think Scottish is harder personally. Yeah, I don't know if I've ever seen her do an accent. I felt justified in it, just knowing that she is of Irish descent. And so therefore, I made an assumption that she at least has grown up around the accent or has heard it, you know, maybe has family well, members. <laughs> I think it's fair to say that she would have done a better job than Cameron Diaz. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Definitely. I think it's that's a fair <laughs> yeah. And also just, I really like her. I've said it before on the podcast, but she's a talented actor and she she's could, amazing. yeah. And she could totally hold her own in a role like this opposite, you know, Daniel Day-Lewis opposite yeah. Colin Farrell. I think she would have been terrific. Yes. I definitely agree with you there. I think, I love that you said Colin Farrell. Did I get that wrong? <laughs> Well, no, Colin Farrell's not in the movie, Lucia. But he is in my movie. Right, right, right. Okay, I see what you're saying. Yeah. Um, Yeah, definitely. And I think that's key. Like, I think she definitely could hold her own against Daniel Day-Lewis in a scene, Mm -hmm. right? I think that's really important. That You have to have that 
that balance, that alchemy, right? When you have actors where you have one that is like a heavyweight and then you have another one that's not up to their level at all, it's it throws the balance off yeah. in a movie for sure. And it becomes distracting, I think. Yeah, and I think for me too, one of the things that I was looking for in this role was somebody with a little more edge than Cameron Diaz because this is somebody who you know, she's playing a certain role in her own life, but then you see that, like, you know, she's sneaky and stealing and, you know, she's a good pickpocket and she's sneaking into people's houses and robbing them and stuff. So I just feel like I wanted somebody who could be a little edgier. And I definitely think both Isla Fisher and Jennifer Connelly would have that. Sure, I agree. I like Jennifer Connelly. I'm not sure. Isla Fisher is, is great. I mean, I mm-hmm. think, you know, I really enjoy her in everything that I see her in. And I think she definitely has become someone who could do comedy and drama. Yeah. Like, she's versatile, for sure. But Jennifer Connelly, I would, yeah, I think she would have been definitely an interesting choice for the role. Yeah. In 2002, Isla Fisher might have been a little too green, but, yeah. yeah. Um, Nice. Yeah. I love that we matched up. That, like, so rarely happens. (laughs) Yay. So um, speaking of the pickpocketing, Scorsese hired somebody called the magician, an Italian pickpocketer who like was known for pickpocketing for 30 years to teach Cameron Diaz how to convincingly rob somebody, which if you look at the scene on like the trolley when she's trying to steal the guy's watch, there's nothing subtle about it. That is, if that's what resulted from her training with this guy, (laughs) yikes. So this movie is close to three hours long. The original cut of the movie was one hour longer. Yes. Yeah, Harvey, because there's a very rich backstory Mm. to this movie, right? And I think... Anyone who's listening, I mean, we're not going to sit here and talk about it because we'd be here for like another two hours. But anyone who is interested, like I would definitely encourage them to Google it and check out the backstory because it has a really, I mean, Martin Scorsese started working on this like in 1970. He got the idea and I feel like this was like a real labor of love for him, something that he wanted to do for like 20 years, Mm -hmm. right? Can you imagine working on something for 20 years? I can't. (laughs) I can't either. And then finally, like 20 years later, it it comes to fruition, right? Yeah. So I think, you know, when you've worked on something for that long, it's not surprising that, that they become so emotionally attached to it. And I think he definitely had some there was a lot of conflict there with Harvey Weinstein who produced the movie at Miramax, right? So there was a lot going on there for sure. Well, I think anyone who's listening and wants to read the, like the backstory, it's kind of good gossip. (laughs) I think that's really generous of you (laughs) to say that, you know, it's because it's a labor of love and everything, but also I do feel like we have seen time and time again that this man just, does not like to edit. <laughs> His movies are always just bloated. I don't know. I just, to me, that just kind of felt in line with him as a, a director and as a person. Yeah, yeah, for 
for sure. I mean, his movies are always really long, right? Yeah. For sure. It's a long movie, for sure. <laughs> I mean, anyone who decides to watch it, like, you Buckle know, in. Gets, surround yourself with snacks. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. In 1978 was one of the earliest iterations of when he was potentially getting it ready to be on screen. And one of the first castings that I saw was, and this is wild, I don't know if you saw this, but uh, Dan Aykroyd as Amsterdam and and John Belushi as Bill the Butcher. Yeah. Like, in 1978, those two were on SNL. And that's not to say that a comedic actor can't do dramatic roles, because I think, in fact, oftentimes those turn out really great. But... If that was the casting in 1978, this would have been a comedy, no? Like, I just, I don't see how it wouldn't be. I don't know. I feel like uh, this type of movie, like, of this grand scale, a movie like this would never have been made in the 70s. I don't know. Yeah, or if it had been, it wouldn't have been on the same scale. Like, it would have been forgotten by now. Sure. It wouldn't have been the epic movie experience yeah that it was because i mean i said this already it's a beautiful movie the art direction the costumes like that was the one thing that watching it now from the lens of 2021 i was really impressed with i don't think i was maybe i didn't take note of it as much when i initially watched it but watching it now i was like this is a beautiful movie like they did an amazing job on these costumes, the art direction, the cinematography, like it's wow. Hmm. I I thought it was impressive. Yeah. Um, (laughs) You don't sound as impressed, Lucia. You're like, "Mm -hmm." I'm not, but I probably would need to watch it again. Like, I guess I have a short attention span. Like, I think while watching it, First of all, for me, the opening kind of ruined a lot for me in the sense that I don't want to like, I know you love Daniel Day-Lewis, so I don't want to like bash him. But in that opening scene, his accent is coming through all over the place. When he first opens his mouth and he sounds like, hey, I'm in New York, I got a gun. Like that's the that's what it sounds like at the beginning and it threw me <laughs> yeah i don't know about this voice coach guy you know they yeah. needed they needed jerry butler <laughs> yeah jerry butler on this project agreed <laughs> yeah. i still say lucia that that is a future career for you and i is like to do voice coaching for for some hollywood productions because i really feel like <laughs> We're on the pulse of it. I would love it. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know. If anyone's listening, we're both available. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I do want to go just a little further into like the various castings over the years because I did think it was really interesting. So um, after Belushi died, then the next pair that I saw was Mel Gibson as Amsterdam and Willem Dafoe as Bill the Butcher. I didn't see Mel Gibson. Willem Dafoe, I think, definitely could have played this role. Mm -hmm. And I think he would have done a fine job as well. Agreed. For sure. Agreed. Yeah. Mel Gibson, toss him. Like, we don't, and not just because of whatever personal things I feel about him. I don't think he would have been good in it. But then the next 
round of casting that I saw was Malcolm McDowell as Amsterdam and Robert De Niro as Bill the Butcher, which I think that would have been an interesting movie. I'd like to see that. Yeah, I could see Malcolm McDowell. Mm-hmm. Robert De Niro. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, I mean, he's a great actor. He could have done it, I'm sure. This would have been probably in the early 80s, I'm guessing. Yeah, for sure. So, yeah, at that time, he definitely had, you know, that gravitas, and he totally, I think, could have been a a really good Bill the Butcher. He ended up recommending Leonardo DiCaprio to Scorsese. And then lastly, I wanted to mention the various people who had auditioned or been considered at some point for the role of Jenny. So these are the options that we had, and they chose to go with Cameron Diaz. (laughs) So we have Sarah Michelle Gellar, Sarah Pauly. Yeah, Sarah Michelle Gellar is kind of a weird one, but um, Sarah Polly I think, would have been good. Ultimately, she didn't have the star power that they were looking for. Christina Applegate, Kate Beckinsale, Kirsten Dunst, Eliza Dushku, Eliza Dushku? I'm not sure how to pronounce her name. Yeah, that's kind of a weird one. Heather Graham, Bryce no. Dallas. I know, that's not a great option. <laughs> Bryce Dallas Howard. No. Yeah. Um, Alyssa Milano. <laughs> oh, God. Natalie Portman. Chris- okay, well. Yeah, I could see her. Christina Ricci. Yes. Yeah, yeah, right? <laughs> Christina Ricci, yes, I could see that. Yeah, and then Winona Ryder and Mina Suvari. Yeah, you know, these we've talked before about these casting lists, Yeah, right? It's like throwing spaghetti on a wall. That list certainly feels like it, yeah. Yeah, because you go, okay, how did Alyssa Milano and like... I'm not dissing Alyssa Milano by any means, mm-hmm. okay? But she belongs in a certain spot, and it's not in a Scorsese movie. How do you put Alyssa Milano and Christina Ricci or Alyssa Milano and Sarah Pauly on yeah. the same list? Yeah, I agree. And even, like, I love Heather Graham. I think she's wonderful, but I think she would have been all wrong for this. I can't believe they didn't even consider Rachel Vice. Yeah, I know. What the heck? <laughs> what the heck is going on? Janet, forget voice coaching. We need to be casting directors. <laughs> yeah, listen, that's my dream job right there. Yes. <laughs> I want to be the gatekeeper of these things. I, like, we would be so, that's, that's my dream job. Yeah. Throwing that out into the universe. I think what a lot of it boils down to for me is when I'm doing this, I'm trying not to like, for example, I'm picking Isla Fisher because I'm trying not to focus on like, if they have the right star power, if politically they're a good choice. To me, it's like, do they have the chops or don't they? Um, But that's not how it works in real life. No, it's not. I mean, it's like we have touched on before Mm -hmm. it all comes down to money box office who is going to put those asses in the movie seats Mm -hmm. right and at the time in 2002 let's face it leo dicaprio cameron diaz they were box office draws and that's what it boils down to But there's always other options. Like, there's never just one box office draw, right? You mean one person? There's always more than one actor who can 
do it, who can fulfill the commercial aspect of it, but also the artistic and who's really good for it. Because it's like I said, when you have really good, precise casting, it is, it's magic, yeah. right? It's, it makes for a movie that's memorable and it makes for something that can also be a commercial success as well. Because I guess you could say this was a commercial success, but mm-hmm. I mean, it did 194 million, but they spent 100 million. Yeah. Yeah. To me, it's, yes, it is technically a success, but like, it didn't right. sound like enough. Like, honestly, if I was the boss and I was looking at this and I was an executive, I would be like, this didn't make enough money because you mm-hmm. spent $100 million on this. You should have made more. Yeah. That is what I would say. Agreed. Agreed. I think the casting of Daniel Day Lewis. That's perfection. Absolutely. It's an electrifying performance that he gave. I mean, he ended up winning the BAFTA for his performance. He didn't win the Oscar, but he won the BAFTA. Yeah. He was exceptional, but these two, it was, it was wrong. What I find interesting about that, because yeah, of course, you're totally right. What they want is to get the butts in seats. I get that. But this is a Scorsese pick in the early 2000s. He was already... This was a prestige project. So it is surprising to me, not that they want to make money, of course they do, but it is surprising to me that there wasn't a little bit more focusing on the artistic value of it or the artistic merit. Because yeah, clearly the reason that Cameron Diaz and Leonardo DiCaprio are in this movie is butts and seats. That's the only reason I can think of. Well, anyway, we can get into the ratings for this movie. On IMDb, it has a 72% from 39 critics. And then from Rotten Tomatoes, it has a 74% from 212 reviewers. So really, really similar. Sure, that's decent, right? Yeah. And that feels fair where it's at. Yeah. For sure. So if you don't have any other tidbits... No. Okay. Then we will take our second break. This episode of Repodcasting is brought to you by the Calgary Foundation, proudly supporting community needs for 65 years. Whether someone is battling depression, fleeing domestic abuse, or worried about putting food on the table, it's times like these that inspire people to help others during a period of unprecedented needs. The Calgary Foundation is here to help. Through the generous support of donors, the Foundation offers a wide range of funding opportunities for organizations who share a common goal of building a healthy, giving, caring, and resilient community, one where everyone thrives. If you're a part of a registered charity looking for a grant, discover a wealth of resources at calgaryfoundation.org and learn more about the Calgary Foundation on their Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and YouTube channel. And it is time for our final segment, Hold Me Close, Young Tony Danza. It's time for Hold Me Close, Young Tony Danza. The, the segment... Part of the show. For sure. The segment where we cast Tony Danza into one of the roles in this movie. And I'm excited to hear your pick. <laughs> <laughs> Tony Danza. I wanted to give him a meaty role. Uh-huh. Something he could sink his teeth into. So I cast Tony as Walter Monk McGinn, who is played by Brendan Gleeson. Oh, okay. In the movie. Oh, that's a good one for Tony. He's a killer for hire. <laughs> Woo! Yeah. 
But also you can tell he's like, he has a code. He has a moral code. He does. And also you kind of get that sense that he has almost sort of a paternal kind of relationship with Amsterdam. Yeah. He's definitely looking out for him. Mm -hmm. He's definitely like trying to help him and support him. They're working in sync. And I just really could see Tony in that role. Nice. In that sort of paternal kind of looking out for Amsterdam. I could see Tony really shining in that role. Nice. I like that. I think that's a really good pick. Mine is a little cheeky. (laughs) I cast him as Bill the Butcher. Okay, so hear me out. (laughs) As I already mentioned, um, when Daniel Day-Lewis first starts speaking, he sounds like this Brooklyn Italian guy. And honestly, when I was watching the movie and he first opened his mouth, I was like, is he trying to sound like Tony Danza? (laughs) And also, I would love to see... Tony Danza, give it his all and, like, take on this lead role. Oh, God. But he's such a depraved character. Oh, no. Yeah, Tony would give, like, one of his sweet smiles and it would be all over. (laughs) I know, right? Yeah. Oh, wow. But the accent, for sure. Perfect. On point. Yeah. And I'm just realizing that we, I think we've wrapped up this. I think we made some terrific picks and next month will be a surprise it is a surprise (laughs) it's so surprising that you and i don't even know what it is yeah (laughs) stay tuned folks (laughs) but it'll be a doozy and i promise it will be under two hours (laughs) yeah for sure it's not going to be a three-hour extravaganza like, like yeah. Gangs of New York. We, yeah, I feel, dear listener, we've kind of put you through the ringer over these last, what, three, four months. Um, so it's time for a break. We'll do something on the shorter side. And uh, I'll probably slap on a little recording at the end to let everybody know what we've chosen. In the meantime, if you have any suggestions for movies we should recast, you can email us at repodcasting at gmail.com. Or you can find us on the various social media stuffs at Repodcasting. So, Janet, this was fun. Thank you for picking Gangs of New York so I could finally see it. Thank you, Lucia. Yeah, I can't believe you never saw this. This is one of those movies that should be on your movie-watching CV for sure. Yeah, and it is in that 1001 movies to watch before you die kind of thing. It's in that list. So now I'm one closer. Anyone who is listening to us and who has not watched this movie, you need to watch it. Yeah. Like, it's just one of those, to me, this is a modern classic. Mm. Nice. (laughs) Lucy's like, "Mm." (laughs) hmm. I'm pondering. I'm pondering. Because while it wasn't for me, even so, there's still a lot there that I really appreciated and thought was very good. Okay. Well, thanks, Janet. Thanks, Lucia. And we'll see you next month. Bye. Bye.
Hi again, Lucia here. Just wanted to let you know that the movie for next month's episode will be Failure to Launch, starring Matthew McConaughey and Sarah Jessica Parker. So hope you get a chance to watch it and recast along with us. See you next month.